race and patriarchy have historically subjugated the position of women leaders in South Africa. In order to end all forms of discrimination against women across the world, they need to be incorporated into the key political institutions and their participation as leaders in global governance cannot be understated. South Africa is one of at least 17 countries that has a woman or female foreign minister. Since 1994, all but one of the country's foreign ministers have been women. Both white and black women in South Africa have culturally been idealized as mothers and not as political influential actors. The role of black women in liberation struggle has been recognized. So let's have this conversation with High Commissioner Lulu Tsengwana. Good afternoon. Welcome to Ubuntu Radio. Good afternoon, Thelma, and good afternoon to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Your Excellency, I would like you to share a background about yourself, uh, the person that you are, about life, how you grew up, where are you from, how was it like growing up in those times? Yes, um, I come from the Eastern Cape uh, province, uh, at that time known as the Transkei. Uh, I grew up in Mtata, uh, which is uh, the today the O.R. Tambo district. Uh, also uh, w- studied in Umtata, my high school, uh, St. John's College in Umtata. Uh, my home was in Mkanduli, which is about 30 kilometers from Umtata, a small village there. Uh, I grew up uh, with uh, my siblings. My father was working for the Department of Agriculture in Mtata, and my mother was a teacher. Mm-hmm. But uh, in those days, uh, women were not allowed to work as teachers, uh, especially when they were married. So my mother was a housewife, uh, basically. Uh, it was uh, during the apartheid era, Uh, We fought, first of all, as students uh, in high school. We fought also as students at university. After my uh, high school in Umtata, I went to Vets University, uh, where uh, we joined the struggle for liberation. At that time, as a young student, we met the likes of Peter Mukaba, We also joined the women's uh, movement uh, at that time, the Federation of South African Women, which was led by uh, Mamasi Sulu and uh, the likes of Jesse Duarte and many others. Uh, We, although we were students, we were studying, at the same time, we were concerned about our liberation from apartheid. We... I then completed my studies and at that time uh, also had the opportunity to meet Winnie Mandela. First of all, she was banished in Brantford and then she came back to Johannesburg, Soweto in her home. Uh, we were able to participate. At that time, I was a member of the ANC Women's League, so mm-hmm. we were led by the likes of uh, Winnie Mandela. Albertina Sisulu, uh, Mama Adile Tambo after 1990, 91, as well as uh, Mama Gertrude So those were the stalwarts and veteran leaders of women of our time. 
and we stood on their shoulders as they were uh, mentoring us and uh, uh, ensuring that uh, we uh, understood the priorities of our struggle for liberation and the role, the important role that women had to play and were playing at that time and had to play in the future post-apartheid South Africa. So that was uh, an important, there were important role models to us. Uh, even when we, I first went to parliament in 1994, when President Mandela was elected the first, first black president of South Africa, uh, in parliament they continued to guide us, uh, to lead us, and ensured they were also mothering us because they would tell us, uh, you don't dress like that in Parliament. <laughs> you are here to represent the people of South Africa, so you must be presentable and uh, represent them with dignity. So this is uh, the background that uh, put many of us where we are today. Uh, subsequent to that, I was appointed as Deputy Minister for Minerals and Energy. At that time, my minister was Pumzile Mlambonyuka. And then uh, afterwards, she was uh, appointed deputy president, the first deputy president of South Africa. And then I became the minister for uh, agriculture and land affairs. Uh, from then onwards, uh, I became minister for arts and culture and subsequently minister for women and children. After that, uh, I joined diplomacy in, 19, in 2014, mm. after I had served 20 years as a member of parliament and 10 years as a cabinet minister. Wow, what a journey. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes we as young people of today think that the... Um, liberation struggle was for people who were living in places like Soweto and when you tell me that you are from the Eastern Cape I'm like how was how was it like as a woman being involved in politics uh, 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 at that time where the community not thinking you are too forward uh, and how were you treated in your society well, at that time, I think uh, everybody was scared, mm. but uh, they, they respected uh, young people that had courage to uh, confront the status quo, particularly the apartheid uh, government. Um, I come from a background where my father was always politically conscious, mm. and I think he uh, also raised awareness uh, in the family, including my mother. But at the time I became active, he was already passed and it, my mother was a widow and uh, she was very much in pain because my youngest sister then also went into exile and she was the last born in the family mm. and she could not take the pain that uh, she parted with a with little her girl, <laughs> little girl, oh. and she has gone to countries that she never knew, and that uh, separation 
continued until she passed away. Mm. And that was the thing that pained her the most. Uh, I think even the disease she had, high blood pressure and so on, it was complicated by wow. that. And uh, when uh, she passed away, it was only then she was allowed allowed to come into the country. I think that was 1990, mm. 91. The mm. ANC was unbanned by then. And... Um, then she came for the funeral and uh, was allowed back into the country. That's so weird. my mother was very sad and she suffered a lot. Uh, but generally in the community, there was support, but people were afraid to come out. Mm, mm, uh, mm. There was support and there was a lot of respect for the young people that were out in the struggle. You remember at that time, Nelson Mandela was in jail already many years. Uh, with his comrades, Walter Sisulu, uh, Governor Mbege, and they were all from the Eastern Cape. So people in the Eastern Cape understood uh, the struggle, and uh, although many of them were not coming out mm. openly, mm. but uh, the young ones, uh, many had gone into exile, and many had been leaders in the struggle. So um, it was something that uh, people were yearning for, that freedom and uh, of course the days of uh, uh, Matanzima and his uh, government were very difficult for most of our people so uh, yes it was difficult but uh, people accepted you and people supported in any way they could mm. they supported the family were you ever at some point arrested or detained? Yes, I was arrested as a student, but um, in those days of detention without trial, and then after mm. some months you are released. And at uh, that time, uh, I was studying, I think, at the uh, University of Transkei. Mm. Then I left and came to Johannesburg, studied at the University of the Witwatersrand, I think it was not so oppressive here or there was a, there were many of us that were involved and so we had our strategies how we would protect each other and how to deal uh, with the police. Uh, when it comes to education, I see you speaking of um, University of Transkei and the University of the Vedvatersrand. How how easy or how difficult was it back then for a black woman to have access to such educational institutions? Well, the first of all, uh, as I said, my father passed away when I was around sixteen. I had not finished my trick yet. My mother. Uh, was able to uh, ask for scholarships from the church, uh, the Roman Catholic Church at that stage, mm. which assisted uh, some of us to go through school and university. But also when I came to VETS, uh, the University of uh, the Vedvatusrand, I was able to, first of all, as you say, it was difficult because at that time, this was a white university. Mm. So blacks were supposed to go to Transkei or Forte or University of the North, uh, Teflop, and University of Zululand. Those were the black universities. Mm. Mm. So uh, Cape Town, Vets, and so on, those were white universities and were not allowed. 
So to get into VETS, you have to write to the Minister of Education. Mm. And the Minister of Education at that time was Mr. Titlek. And uh, Mr. Titlek would give you a permit to go and study at VETS. But you had to have good reasons. So as uh, we were struggling and were student in the students' movement and so on, we, we uh, coached each other on tricks. How do you go to vets? Okay. <laughs> How do you go to <laughs> I can imagine. So the, the trick was you need to write to the Minister F.W. Titlak, mm. Minister of Education under apartheid, and tell him that you want to take certain courses that are not uh, offered in the black universities. Mm, mm. So I chose biochemistry and genetics and bio... I don't remember the other one, but those were not offered in black universities. So he had no option, really, I I would think, uh, because I had already also applied to VETS, and VETS accepted me. Mm. So I attached my letter of acceptance and the courses that I wanted that were not offered in the black universities. So to my surprise, I got the permit Mm. to go and study at VETS. Also, when you got into VETS, in the hostels uh, where most students, especially white students, were living, which was near the university, we were not allowed. So I started at VETS, living in Soweto, uh, at a cousin's house. And uh, it was difficult. I had to catch, catch the train or the taxi and so on. And at that time, you remember, there was no electricity mm. in Soweto. Mm. So we used candles and that and kind coal of thing. And, and yeah. coal and all that. Mm. So at some stage, uh, they opened a hostel for students at VETS at Paraguanath Hospital called Lynn Thomas uh, Hostel. So I applied to Lynn Thomas and fortunately I was accepted there. And I also applied for a scholarship at the SACC, then under Archbishop Tutu, mm. uh, I, I, I got a recommendation from Mrs. Mandela because I knew Zinzi. Zinzi was a friend of mine. We were going to rallies and together, together yes. and uh, meetings and so on. So she said, I introduce you to my mother. So she introduced me to my her mother. Her mother spoke to Bishop Tutu. Bishop Tutu. You know, those days they didn't ask, where do you come from? Who is your mother? Yeah, uh-huh. it did Who not you know? matter. It did not mm. matter. It was a black child yeah. that had been accepted by the university, did not have money. They know that black uh, uh, parents, most of them did not have, could not afford mm. university education. So Bishop Tutu, I received a scholarship from uh, the SACC. That gave me a start. I was able to do my BSc and complete that. And I wanted to teach uh, something, but at that time, you remember, the young people were saying no to Bantu education. Mm. And I was also in the struggle. I understood no to Bantu education. So I ended up uh, doing uh, community work. I started uh, as a literacy trainer. Mm. Uh, I worked for an organization called Learn and Teach. We taught domestic workers and uh, uh, people who were working in the gardens 
or in the farms, would go to rural areas and put them together and train other people in those areas to teach them how to read and write. Mm. So that was my first job after uh, university. In fact, I started with the job volunteering while I was still at VETS. So when I've completed, I took it full time. But then uh, at that time now, 1990, the ANC was free and uh, the uh, leadership came back from exile and Nelson Mandela was free. So I was recruited into the ANC and I worked for the Women's League as the... No, before that, I was recruited into the SACC mm. and mm. worked as director for the women's ministries in the SACC. Uh, under, first of all, under Bishop Tutu, mm. and then he retired. And then I worked under uh, Reverend Chikani, mm. who was the next... Uh, uh, or to call the general secretary of the SACC. Uh, I think before him there was a Reverend Beas Nodier. Mm-hmm. Beas Nodier for a short time, and then when he left, uh, Reverend uh, Chikani took over. So I worked there until when the ANC was unbent, and then I was uh, recruited to go and work for the ANC, and I worked for the uh, women's program in the ANC. And we started projects for women in the rural areas and, you know, for job creation. could be a chicken project, it could be a pickery, it could be sewing and beadwork. Those kinds of projects were able to get funding from Sweden, from uh, especially the Scandinavian Norway, Scandinavian countries, Denmark, mm-hmm. that supported those kinds of projects. So from then... Uh, parliament I'm just cutting a long story yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went into the elections of course there was this traumatic experience of uh, the murder of uh, Chris Annie mm. and uh, people were wanted to fight and to you know uh, uh, retaliate mm-hmm. uh, the, that killing but President Mandela uh, took on leadership in that at uh, that time and ensured that we are focused on ensuring that the liberation of this country is a priority and we are not going to be uh, forced uh, out of that uh, focus and he said uh, the death of Kresani would have been in vain if now there is chaos in this country and we are not able to achieve our freedom and indeed, uh, negotiations started and were uh, speeded up. And he died in April 1994, 1993. Mm. In April 1994, we had our first election, yes. 27 April, yes. and our freedom. Mm. And so from then onwards, uh, I, was, I was thinking, well, I'm still young. Now we've achieved our freedom. I want to go overseas and study, continue my studies. Mm. I think I had also received a bursary to go to Sussex University to do my master's. And uh, at that time, the ANC said, no, you are going to parliament. Mm. And I asked my leaders, Mama Sisulu, Mama uh, Shope, and uh, 
uh, Mama Tambo, what do I do now? I wanted to go to school. Now they put me on the list. Uh, they said, you listen to the organization, you go to parliament. <coughs> so parliament, oh, I was. I <laughs> yes, it was. But later on, I continued my studies long distance mm. with the London School of Business, School of Economics. And um, then uh, I stayed in parliament for 10 years. And then after 10 years, President Mbeki elected, appointed me as deputy minister of minerals and energy. And then later he appointed me as minister of uh, agriculture and land affairs. And then later on, I was President Zuma appointed me as Minister of Arts and Culture. And after one year, I enjoyed that one year because that was the World Cup 2010. Oh, yeah. And we that was yes. the opening ceremony as Arts and Culture and the closing ceremony. We worked with uh, great artists like um, um, uh, Yvonne Chaka Chaka. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Pitika Nduli mm. and Sbongile Kumalo oh, yes. and many others. And many others. So that was a great uh, World Cup. Uh, we were sent out to other countries like Germany and uh, Europe where they said, no, South Africa cannot make it, must take it over Australia. We're saying you can bring it to Australia. We had it before. We are ready. Uh, we have to have a plan B because South Africa there will be chaos, crime, uh, be people will be yeah. mugged, there will be violence, and and we said no, we're ready for the World Cup, and they have not finished. They are building the stadium and what what they are not ready, and we said we are ready. We will be ready. Our stadium are almost finished. They are there, and uh, everything. Everybody will welcome the World Cup visitors. Everybody's excited and looking forward to this World Cup. And it was the greatest World Cup. It was. What a moment to, to, to be alive. We still yes. refer back to that year. Exactly. And we are grateful that we lived to experience the World Cup of exactly. 2020. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It was the greatest. Even I'm watching now Qatar, the one that was in Brazil and other countries. This was the greatest hours. <laughs> and nobody was marked, nobody was attacked. Everything was it peaceful. was perfect. Perfect. Was. And South Africans were great. Mm. Welcoming, warm. I yeah. we really enjoyed ourselves yes. during that time. Yes. So you transitioned mm -hmm. from being an active politician into <laughs> diplomacy. Yeah. Talk me through that journey. Where did it all start? Where did you go? Where were you posted first? Well, actually, I was shocked because uh, I was at home and I thought, uh, well, I was still thinking, what do I do? Because that time I had decided, let me retire and do something different and uh, maybe get into, because I've always been an activist working with women and gender and go back to the NGO mm -hmm. uh, sector maybe find ways how I can support women and so on. So now, whilst I was uh, sitting there and uh, enjoying my pension, I, I got a phone call from Minister Maiteng Kwanamashaban, and she said, President Zuma says I must go to Ghana. Mm. Eh, I was shocked. And <laughs> I didn't know Ghana. 
And then I tried to go to CNN to get books about Ghana. I couldn't find them. I don't know why. (laughs) I just wanted to have an idea. uh, How does it look like? How are the people then? But uh, then I spoke to my family and said, I've been asked to go to Ghana. I don't know what to do. And they said, no, you cannot go against the president. You have to go. Mm. So there I was. I came here. I was trained for three months. And uh, that was towards the end of 2014, early 2015. Off I was, uh, uh, I packed my bags. I landed in Ghana. It was the greatest time of my life. Mm. The people of Ghana are so amazing, amazing, warm, you know, Banubuntu. Mm. Mm. They welcome you so well and they have a beautiful culture. Uh, they do their own things. They cook their own food, very good, healthy, nutritious food that I had not tasted before. You know, like they eat goat meat there. Mm. We eat lamb and beef. Yes. They like goat meat, which I'm told is healthy, mm. does not have cholesterol and all those things. They eat a lot of fish, which also is very healthy. And um, they do their kente, they produce their own clothes. You know, we had shops like Truett's and Edgar's there. Those had to close because Ghanaians, they wear their things. Like mm. this one I'm wearing mm. is from it's Ghana. It's from Ghana. Uh-huh. Wow. They weave it themselves, mm. this um, uh, kente, and then they are designers. They design the most beautiful outfits in mm. the world. Highly gifted. Yes, yes. So, and they are entrepreneurs. They love business. You know, especially women. Mm. Some of the greatest business people there are women. So I enjoyed Ghana and I learned a lot from uh, their culture. And they also loved South Africa. Mm. So uh, many of them would come here like the king of the Ashanti. He has a home here in Johannesburg in uh, Sandhurst. Wow. And uh, he would come with the chiefs when he comes here for some months. They would sit and have their, what is it, court, mm. the traditional the African traditional court, court here in Johannesburg. And so um, I would visit the king just for a courtesy call. He would tell me everything about South Africa. Wow. <laughs> he knows all our stories. What mm-hmm. is happening in parliament? What is happening? And I would have to answer to all that and say, sometimes things are not looking good. And they would say they are feeling pained. Because South Africa, they look up to South Africa as one of the greatest nations Hmm. in the continent. Mm. So that was a great experience. And from there, I went to, I was supposed to go to Uganda 2018. Okay. Yeah. Or 2019 early. Then there was COVID. All the planes were closed. I mean, airports were closed. closed. We couldn't travel. Yes, there were no. There was no flyer flight, and no one was supposed to travel, go anywhere. So I was stuck in Ghana uh, during the lockdown, and of course, Yan Smarts or Artambo was closed. Uh, even Uganda, 
their airports and so on were closed all over the world. So I stayed another two years in Ghana. Mm. I was only able to leave November 2020. Mm. And Deco said I must go straight to Uganda mm. from Ghana. So I've been in Uganda now for two years. And uh, they are very similar, uh, the culture. They are very similar to Ghana. Also very warm people, uh, welcoming. Also they love South Africa, uh, like the Ghanaians uh, did. And uh, the only thing we fight about is the visa to mm. come to South Africa. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if they apply today, they want their visa tomorrow. Whew. So we have to, you know, make them understand understand the processes that uh, we have to go through and give us a little bit time. But also we must uh, raise awareness that they must apply early, mm. not mm. just the last minute mm. application. Mm. Yeah. So also there are business opportunities. There were business opportunities in Ghana. We had a number of South African companies in Ghana. Like we have Stanbic, which is Standard Bank. Mm. We had MTN. Those were some of the biggest companies in Ghana, MTN especially. And uh, we had uh, Anglo Gold Ashante because they have a lot of gold. And we also have gold fields uh, in Ghana. In Uganda, we have uh, MTN. Mm. It's the biggest company in Uganda. And... Uh, Sunbeak Bank, which is standard, is the biggest bank in Uganda. We also have APSA mm. Bank, I think is the third or so biggest bank. So we have multi-choice, we have a few other companies who are at the moment doing well. Yes, there are challenges during COVID. A lot of co companies closed down, like our ShopRite closed down, mm. game stores closed down, uh, you know, because many businesses were closed, like hotels, restaurants, and uh, people, many people were unemployed. They lost their jobs. They lost yeah. their jobs. Some of them have not survived, mm. been revived even now. Mm. So mm. you'll imagine the market that goes to ShopRite or some uh, to... Uh, games by TVs or computers that has shrunk so it has not been easy for them yeah wow yeah. COVID has done a lot of damage yeah. with regards to our economy everywhere exactly. in the world exactly. it's quite sad yes so when you wake up in the morning you are in Uganda you go to your office as the high commissioner mm. What does your day look like? What is it that you get up to? Well, first of all, I must check if there's any correspondence or email from head office. And uh, secondly, if there's anything from um, Ministry of Foreign Affairs mm. in Uganda. And then we have a number of reports that we have to compile, uh, analyzing the socio-economic uh, situation in Uganda, but also the security uh, environment. 
as you will know, that region is, uh, there's a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will know that Uganda is neighboring DRC. DRC, I can say literally, there's a war. Mm-hmm. Uh, in DRC, uh, there are people that were rebels in Uganda and they ran away into DRC and they are trying to attack from the DRC called the ADF and uh, there is also a group called M23 and we have our own forces, South African forces that are working with the United Nations mission peacekeeping they are all affected by that we also have South Sudan also a neighbor which is still in conflict area uh, we have not very far Somalia mm-hmm. which is also in conflict uh, Al-Shabaab is a, a big threat in the region so uh, the other countries have come together to try and set up a, a peace keeping force but it's difficult uh, a year ago there were a number of bomb attacks in Uganda uh, but uh, apparently uh, it is alleged they came from DRC, those groups like ADF that are based in DRC so Uganda uh, People's Defense Force then uh, came together with the army, the DRC army and they decided to go and attack these uh, terrorist groups mm. who are, have been attacking also communities in the DR, Eastern DRC. So in that way, there is a lot of insecurity and we have to report and update a, a, the head office what is happening in the region, what is happening in Uganda. Mm. So those are the reports <coughs> Some are monthly reports, some are daily reports. If there's a crisis happening, we have to report immediately. Mm. Uh, Even during the time of COVID, we had to report every day. Where are we in Uganda? Now, we had also Ebola uh, end of last year, beginning of this year. We also had to report what is the situation because we have companies there, we have South Africans there, we have tourists and business people coming in and out. Uh, is it safe to come and so on? Is everything under control? Mm. But I think the government of Uganda has dealt with COVID very well, mm. has dealt with Ebola very well, and was able to contain people in the areas that had the Ebola outbreak. So it does not br- uh, spread throughout the country. Mm. So in that way, now I think it has been completely... Uh, eradicated or eliminated and there's no one who has tested positive with Ebola. Mm. And uh, we also work with the UN organizations. We work with, for instance, a World Health Organization Organization. to brief us on the status of COVID in Uganda, the Ebola uh, 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 status again. So we get updates from time to time and we share these reports with uh, the head office so that South Africans are informed how safe they are. 
Uh, we also working on a project uh, with IPSA, which is an agricultural project that we would like to do jointly with the government of Uganda and with the UNDP. As you know, the IPSA funds are kept by the UNDP. Mm. So we hope by March we'll be able to launch that project. Uh, it has been approved in principle uh, by the IPSA fund in New York, and we're hoping that funds will be coming soon and we can get, get started with agriculture mm. because that is one priority area because Uganda is very fertile. They have a lot of water. It is green everywhere. The longest river in the world uh, originates, the Nile River, wow. from Uganda. Mm. Mm. The biggest lake in Africa, Lake Victoria, mm -hmm. is in Uganda. So water is not a problem. And they have the most fertile soil uh, that uh, you, we have on the African continent. Produce a lot of fruits, produce a, a lot of uh, sunflower, maize vegetables and so on so the we if we can work together in agriculture and agri-processing i think uh, as africa we will go far we can even feed the the continent and and europe probably the whole world of course and we can uh, uh, work on food security that yes. will cater for all of us yes so yes. Um, I know Uganda is also uh, good in tourism. I've spoken to one ambassador mm. of Uganda here in South Africa, and they told mm. me about the gorillas, yes. how people come through for the gorilla experience. Talk yes. me through um, some of the tourism highlights of Uganda. Yes, uh, Uganda has a, is a beautiful country. Uh, they say when uh, Winston Churchill first visited Uganda, he called it the Pearl of Africa. Mm. It was so beautiful. As I say, the source of the Nile is there. And uh, in uh, it, it comes actually from uh, Lake Victoria. So people will go to Jinja. There's a town called Jinja in the east of Uganda where the Nile originates. So we also have on the Nile the wild waters which is a beautiful uh, part of the Nile and uh, we have a, a number of South African companies that have built beautiful lodges there in mm. the river Nile uh, in the western part of we, that is where we have the gorillas uh, first of all they have big uh, elephants I think they are bigger, bigger than ours and uh, they have a park like Kruger Park, which they call the Queen Elizabeth Park. It has the big five. You will find everything there. You'll also find the gorillas uh, in the west, western part of uh, Uganda, beyond Lake Albert, Lake Munyonyo. And uh, yes, it is a beautiful part of the country, but uh, the challenges there are how to reach those places, they still need uh, a lot of infrastructure. They have also asked South Africa to assist uh, and ensure that our high-end uh, lodges 
restaurants, hotels come to Uganda mm. to actually develop like in the Queen Victoria National Park. I think there's only one hotel or restaurant. But if you look at the Kruger Park, how many do we have in Kruger Park? Lodges, hotels, restaurants, and so on. So they still need to uh, develop that, but also they need, I would say, an airline, you know. Of course, we have one airport in Uganda, And, uh, of course, they have landing strips in some of the regions, but they don't have an airline, like whether it's Airlink or it's SAA, that will go to Mafike, that will go to Nelspreit, that will go to uh, Mpulugwana, that will go to Eastern Cape, Mtata, Mm. those smaller towns, but that are important for you to see the country, to reach those tourist attractions that might be in remote areas. So how do they go about accessing those areas now? You have to use road transport. You use road transport, yes. Sometimes it takes a long time, five hours Mm. or more. Mm. Uh, If you have enough money, then you charter. Maybe you can charter as a group. Mm. As I said, there are landing strips there, but there isn't an ordinary airline that will go, you know, like we have in South Africa. Mm, yes. Mm, mm. So it is a beautiful country. It has all those attractions. But access sometimes is a challenge. It's problematic. Yes, yes. Yeah. They've done well because their roads look good. Uh, they are national roads. But uh, sometimes it means driving for a very long time. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. yeah. So the, for tourists to be attracted, we also need to ensure the infrastructure is uh, is uh, attractive. Mm, mm, mm. Of course. Mm. When you live at the end of your term in Uganda, what legacy do you think you will leave there? And what kind of lessons are you taking back home? Yes. Um, I would hope that um, we would have... Uh, more companies, uh, South African companies, mm. that have benefited from the opportunities there. Uh, there are still untapped opportunities. For instance, they have mining there. And I've always said, wherever I get the opportunity, South Africa has more than 100 years uh, experience in mining, same as agriculture. There's a lot we can learn and share from one another. I think if we can be able to share some of our experience, our skills, our technology in agriculture Mm. with Uganda, we'll have achieved a lot. Uh, If we have been able to share some of our expertise in mining, especially gold, they have uh, gold in some of their er regions, and develop the, those and even value addition will have uh, done a lot uh, to assist fight poverty and Uganda is the youngest country in the continent or the second youngest the average age in Uganda 80% of the population is below 35 Wow! people still have 5 or 6 children mm. 
And um, some of them are highly educated. They have a degree. They have a master's degree. Some have two master's degrees, but they don't have a job. Mm. So uh, if we can encourage, you know, technology development and also with agriculture, add value. When they produce their beautiful pineapples this side, some of those pineapples rot in the fields. Hmm. If we can bring our equipment, machinery, and produce juice and whatever we can mm, out of mm, that mm. so that they can even export. Because if you export this big thing, you pay a lot of money. It's heavy. Yes. So it's better to uh, process, process it, it right there. Yes. Mm. And then export as juice as whatever uh, that is packaged. Uh, same with the uh, sunflower. If we can bring our technology and assist them to process that into a sunflower oil, mm. which today is very expensive, mm. and mm. they can export all over the world and uh, realize a lot. And during uh, through those factories that can be built, we'll be creating jobs for these young people that are walking the streets of Uganda. Um, so that is what I'm working on now, especially with the project on IPSA to ensure that uh, we create uh, opportunities, especially for women and young people. Mm, mm. Uh, there's also the opportunity in mining. They've also discovered oil and gas in Uganda, and I hope South African companies will come and participate and assist Uganda, again, develop uh, the oil and gas sector. We have Sasol here, we have an experience in petrochemicals, those, again, are opportunities that we can leave uh, behind, at least uh, ensure that young people in Uganda have uh, jobs and are able to participate in those opportunities in their country. I think you have challenged South African companies there to do something. Mm. I believe that there are many agro-processing companies that can take this opportunity, yes. go to Uganda and, yes. and do some business there. Yes. And it will help the both of countries. Yes. That's why this uh, state visit is very important by President Museveni. Mm. Uh, last year we had a joint commission for... Uh, cooperation with Uganda that was learned by our minister, Minister Pando, and the foreign minister in Uganda. And uh, on the 12th of July, the minister met with President Museveni and handed over an invitation from President Ramaphosa. And he accepted the invite, so he will be here on the 27th and 28th. And uh, the summit for the two presidents is on the 28th. Uh, in the morning. But the, he, President Museveni is bringing a number of companies and trade and industry has organized a business forum on the 27th and 28th. So uh, there will be companies from Uganda and companies from South Africa. And we hope there will be partnerships uh, in the various, some of the sectors that are going to be uh, discussed, prioritized, it's agriculture and agri-processing it's transport and logistics, it's tourism, uh, it's also a, a oil and gas, mm -hmm. oil and gas sector, and uh, I think mining. So uh, we hope that out of this summit, whilst the presidents and the ministers are sitting, 
there will be a parallel business forum mm. on the 27th and 28th where now that will be hosted by trade and industry and competition ministry and that will then bring together these companies and opportunities not only in Uganda but also in South Africa because also Ugandans would like to invest in South Africa and South Africa will be able to look at opportunities in Uganda and come and invest in Uganda. So we think out of this summit, more will be done. Mm, mm. We're looking forward to that. And lastly, High Commissioner, um, what words would you like to leave with young women who would like to pursue a career in diplomacy? Yes, uh, I would like to say that it's a great opportunity to learn about other countries, but first of all, a great opportunity to represent your president and your country. Uh, You are able to learn about the cultures of various countries. You are also able to bring opportunities that are available in those countries to South Africans to grow our economies but also bring uh, those countries as investors, bring them, bring them to come and invest in South Africa. We have Ugandans that have bought hotels here, mm. that have uh, bought, uh, uh, looked at opportunities in mining, looked at opportunities in energy. And you'll remember some of these countries have been free for 60 years now. So many of them have taken their key young ones to, to London, to to the U.S. to study. So they are uh, highly skilled people in those countries that can also add value to our economy. So for young, it's not easy also because sometimes you have to work with uh, people, uh, men and women, that don't uh, recognize or support a woman Mm. especially an African woman mm. we still have that uh, uh, mentality, un- mentality mm. and you have to be strong again you have to prove yourself that you can do more and you can do better than your male counterparts otherwise people may expect you to fail so uh, it's an opportunity also you become a role model for young girls, as you see, if uh, uh, Ambassador Lulu has made it, I can also do it mm. as a young girl from Mganduli, from uh, rural KwaZulu Natal, mm. rural Limbobo. Mm. I can come and do it. Mm. But uh, most importantly, you also are able to, although sometimes you have to leave the family, mm. it's a sacrifice if your kids are at university and so on. But also, you have the opportunity for your young kids to be exposed to the world. Of course. To learn other cultures. Mm. And our kids who have been to some countries, when they come back home, they are much more broad, uh, mentally exposed, and understand that there are places other than South Africa that have good education, that have good uh, citizens, they become uh, world citizens mm. because now they have a friend whom they met in Ghana mm-hmm. who is now in New York either studying 
or studying in London. Mm. So in their brain, then they can go and visit London. They can go and work in New York. You see. And gain better skills and exposure. And I always say, you know, parents sometimes when your kid goes to London and finds a job in America, they cry. I say, don't cry. Those kids will come back home Mm. much more exposed and skilled and they will contribute to our economy and development. Of course. So the kind of children that have had that exposure are different and they have a better opportunity to contribute and they understand the world more holistically. So it's not just about me, also the family, the kids, they get that kind of exposure. So I saw it with my daughter who lived with me in Ghana for four years Mm. and studied there. She was much better than when she was in South Africa in understanding the world. And we could talk now as adults and even talk politics and she has a better understanding. Amazing. Because you know our kids, they were born after... apartheid sometimes they don't understand why we have a problem here and there but when she went there and she was able to talk to other kids come from America some of them they come from uh, DRC they come from Nigeria and so on they are able to have a much more broader understanding and perspective mm. of the world. Because, by the way, when you are a diplomat, you, you get to attend events yes. with other diplomats yes. from other countries. Yes. And your children get to interact at some exactly. point in life. Exactly. And they learn about each other's and cultures. And in the schools. Mm. In the schools In the schools, well. they learn with different mm. kids. Mm. Maybe the British ambassador kids are there. Mm. And so on and so on. Wow. So they learn, uh, they get to know their friends with the kids from Japan or with kids from uh, New York, from Mm. uh, Nigeria or Algeria. So they understand uh, the world much better than they would if they were just in South Africa. Amazing. Mm. When I grow up, I want to be a diplomat. Yes, (laughs) you can make it. Thank you so much, High Commissioner. I really appreciate you taking time to come to the studio. I know Mm. it's a very busy week for you, and I wish Mm. you all the best in your work engagements this week and next week. Thank you very much. I'm honored. It was a great opportunity for me to talk about... uh, some of the important aspects of our work. Of course. Thank Thank you. you very much.